This is a Broad Pods production. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio, here for more. Hi, and welcome to Broad Radio on the go. This is the podcast version of the live show that we had on Tuesday morning between 9 and 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Tune in and join us live and you can comment. It's very exciting. We read out those comments. But, of course, you're listening on podcast now. So what you're going to hear today is a great chat with Jo and her co-host Mignon Stewart. Uh, They're going to talk about the fight for reproductive rights in the USA um, where they're looking at repealing the Roe v. Wade ruling and criminalising abortion. It's pretty scary stuff. They have a look at what that means for women there and right across the world. Then talking about women in hot cars with old girls on the road. And then Joe has a one-on-one with Dr. Nikki Stamp, who is one of only 11 female heart surgeons in the whole country. She's just released a memoir. She talks about what it means to do a job as important as that one. It's all happening right here on Broad Radio On The Go. I'm Jo Stanley and with me, oh, it's a day of firsts, our very first time as a with co-host Mignon Stewart. Good morning, Min. Good morning, Jo. So lovely to be here on Broad Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you have good manners. It's <laughs> a good way to start. I don't know how we'll end up. <laughs> That's true. Also, though, today is our very first time in our own studio. It's the first time we're coming to you live from Broad Radio HQ. It's a super big achievement for us, Min, because... Let me see, it's episode 60-something. Eight. Hey, well done, you all. 68. Um, <laughs> One of us is on to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and I guess uh, 68 episodes ago, uh, we were in my house. Then yes. we had a lovely transition time at Castaway Studios, and now we've moved into this, and it's a big step forward for us to be able to now broadcast anytime, anywhere, uh, through 24-7, we could be coming to you live. That very is exciting. fabulous. And behind the scenes, it looks very professional. It looks like you know what you're doing. So <laughs> oh, thanks. A, it's a good start. <laughs> it is. But first, let's learn a little about you, Min, because I recall you being a journo. Yes, yes. How I still like to call myself a journo. Yes, I mean, you know, um, that we would see you on the yes, telly. Yes, yes, yes. On the telly. So I began in 1994 with the first job, ABC Radio, Kempsey, New South Wales, all the way from Perth. That was a big move across the country, mm. away from home, the apron strings. And so, but then I spent pretty much, uh, the, I went to Channel 10 pretty quickly after that. So I had uh, 11 years with Channel 10 and then eight years with ABC. But a lot of those eight years, I wasn't seen as such in Melbourne because I was the news presenter and producer to ABC Asia. Uh Aha, So um, I was mobbed anywhere in Asia. (laughs) I wasn't. You were big in the Philippines. (laughs) Huge, huge. (laughs) Trips to Bali took on a whole new form. Um, uh, but no, 11 years uh, essentially on the road with Channel 10 and then ABC for eight years. And in recent years, though, you've been living overseas? Yes, moved to Washington, D.C. My husband is uh, well, works for the Australian newspaper and he was the USA correspondent in 
DC during Trump's years. So it was completely fascinating and fabulous and mm. deeply concerning and alarming and all of those fun mm. things at, at once. So let me tell you, this has been an interesting thing for me with Broad Radio is that because as I'm just exploring all the incredible women that we can have on the show and as we grow our, you know, radio network, which eventually will be a 24-7 network, I'm like, who's out there doing interesting things, right? Oh. And the amount of women that I'm discovering who I remember when and have sort of moved on from that full-time journal journalism or radio kind of career and now are doing other things. But you sort of, I'm excited to draw you back. Yeah, it's to great. be on the airway. It's good to to sort of, you know, take a baby step back into being on air. It, it has been some time. I couldn't work in the US because of visa restrictions, which sort of suited me. I was working full time up until uh, the day we sort of flew out. And then to arrive in, you know, the land of Oz, it was just, you know, being the US as in a, a foreign land with mm. all bells and whistles I, I wasn't familiar with. It was fabulous to not not be able to work, to settle my child into school, mm. settle my husband into work, settle me into the tennis club. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie. I don't play tennis. But, but to just, you know, just explore the city, explore the US. It, it's just such a wild and different country. It's mm. so different. Yeah. I so, think it's really... It's valuable to us that you're here with us today because we our first guest is talking about mm. what is happening in the States at the moment um, with the reversal of or the threat. Po- yeah, potential. Potential reversal yeah. of Roe v. After Wade. The, the, the draft was leaked from the Supreme Court to mm. potentially repeal Roe versus Wade, which, yeah, is, is deeply concerning. And um, I know my friends in Washington, D.C. and other parts of the States are apoplectic about the possibility of this and and the grave danger it leaves many, many thousands, millions mm. of women in uh, certain states of America. So, is it t- gives a sense of what it's like in America, though, because I look at that and go, could it be a threat here in Australia? But you're telling me that it's a very different kind of. It's a very different culture. Society. Very different. I mean, they're they're much more conservative in the U.S. in general. Um, they're. I mean, this is such a divisive issue, whereas to me, abortion rights are just not on the radar here at all. And if they are, they're shouted down pretty quickly. And yes, there are some fringe people that have their strong beliefs, and that's fine. Mm. Uh, it's just, I guess, when it comes to a political issue and decisions. But it's it's concerning, as we're saying in the States. But I don't think it'll ever get to that point here because the majority rules that we accept a woman's right to do what she wants with her body. Mm. So whereas in the US, it's very different. They're much, much more conservative, much more religious, much more evangelical in many states. It's it's a different beast altogether. Mm. Well, let's cross to Washington, D.C., because I know that for myself and a lot of the people, I, you know, people in my circle have been watching on with great fear and concern for women's reproductive rights in the States. And over the weekend, thousands marched across the United States calling for bodily autonomy in a Bands Off Our Bodies Day of Action. And one woman who marched in Washington, D.C. is filmmaker Rachel Factor, and she joins us. Hi there, Rachel. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ben. Hi, Hi Rachel. How are you? No. You come to us via me well, because you're good mates. I do. I do, yeah. Yes. We've, we've known each other like like almost the whole time you were here, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I'm very fortunate that we met yeah. quite uh, early in our posting. So six years, I guess, we've known each other. So, yeah. Ra- yeah. Rachel. I can't believe it. Sorry, tell us some... Um, for the for Australians who may have read the headlines but aren't really quite across what has sparked these marches and this incredible anger, which we support you in, we stand in solidarity yeah. with you in this, but can you explain what the threat is to the current abortion freedoms in America? Yeah, sure. So I'll try to keep it as simple as I can. Um, basically, the most important thing for you to know is for the last almost 50 years, women have had the right to have an abortion. Um, up to about 24 or 25 weeks. Um, Roe v. Wade, back in 1973, established a woman's right to... um, The states could not put any sort of limitations on abortions after the 23... or before the 23, 25 week. Um, Roe v. Wade was upheld in 1992 with the Casey Court. 
although in that decision they did say that states could um well for a better word put roadblocks up right so you in beginning in 1992 you have states saying you have to wait 24 hours um you know you have to um be shown a sonogram things like that um so now dobbs comes in which was the case from mississippi which was um i think it started in 2020 and you've got a very conservative court and shockingly i mean we're all i can't even tell you we, it, i feel like most a lot of american women were going into a rabbit hole of despair about this mm. because it is very very like 99 percent they're going to overturn roe mm. i don't know what other people thought, but never did I think they were going to overturn Roe. I thought they were going to put limits on it. I thought they were going to have like some sort of, um, the compromise was going to be 15 weeks, right? So you're still going to be able to have an abortion up to 15 weeks, but not, and not beyond 15 weeks. And that in itself would have been terrible, right? Because um, it's still a fetus. It still can't live outside its mom. Um, but the, the, I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that we are not going to have Roe v. Wade and that my it is unfathomable to me that my daughters, I have a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, that they are going to grow up with fewer rights than I did. That's mm. what we're all trying to come to terms with right now. And um, I, I mean, I still remember, like, I, I, got the, I got the ding on my phone, you know, about the leak. I thought I was dreaming. I mean, we're still, I, I think we, we sort of, we're all walking around going, oh my God, this is going to happen. I, I mean, I, yeah, it is a draft. I want to say it yeah. is a draft, right? And, but it is, and this, uh, to my knowledge, and a lot of people say they've never, a draft like this has never been leaked, right? But if you read the draft, the draft is just devastating. I mean, it's devastating. From everything I've read, sorry to interrupt you, Rachel, but from yeah. but no, it, is, it is a, a, a leak of, it's a, a draft, but from everything I've been reading that it doesn't look like much will change from that draft. It's And if it will be on the margins, if it does, it it, it does look, as right. you say, I think you said right. 99%. Yeah. But, but yeah. that doesn't... I mean, I that, can't see, yeah, I, there's no way, I can't see, like, Kavanaugh's not going to change, Amy Coney Barrett's not going to change... Alito is definitely not going to change and Thomas isn't going to change. So I don't know where that leaves us. I think that leaves us um, with almost half the states are going to have either uh, no abortion, like zero, or extreme, um, like the Texas law where they have six weeks. Although Texas is going to, when, it, when, it come, when the ruling comes down, they're going to ban abortion too completely. It's, um, it is that sense of complete despair and outrage that another yeah. person might take away a power of yours and autonomy of your body like it's mm -hmm. hard to fathom that it, it, it's it's unbelievable it's yeah. unbelievable and it's i mean i don't think there's ever been a time where the supreme court has taken away a well-established right and alito in his decision you know, I mean, he's, he, he quotes like, uh, I think, 16th, 17th century jurists. He thinks that there's no sort of history here. Well, 50 years is two generations. 50 years is, is history. Mm. And I don't think, you know, women are not going to go back. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be hell. Um, but we're not going to go back. We're not going to go down without a fight, I'll tell you that for free. Mm. But I guess in real terms, Rachel, it means that if it goes ahead, which it looks like it'll be announced at the yeah. en end of June, you'll know uh, where right. America sits on Roe v Wade. But if it does mm -hmm. go ahead, it's my understanding is that 13 states will immediately um, make, make abortion yeah, illegal. Yep, and then another right. 13 states will follow quickly. So that's 26 states. <laughs> outlawing it right. pretty quickly so like what does that mean for your and we're talking the the southern midwest states so what does that yeah. mean and for a, a poor african-american girl in alabama uh, well it in means real terms. that uh, in real terms um it means that she has a, a higher risk of dying during pregnancy um it means that she her her economic and her education and her um, life choices are unbelievably cut 
in half. Oh, no, not even cut in half. I mean, she's already poor or she's very close to poverty level. You know, it's that's going to be devastating. Um, it means you're going to have a, a country of, of, you know, the have and the have nots. Like you're going to have the abortion haves do. and the abortion <laughs> Right, exactly. It's, it's going, going to be, to be more extreme. Yeah. Be I mean, it, what the other thing is, it is getting, you know, you're, there's a possibility that a miscarriage could be a crime scene. Think about that. Mm. Think about you have a miscarriage, you go to the hospital, and then the doctor and the nurses have to become freaking police officers, oh. right? You just go down the rabbit hole of what the possibility could, could be. You know, Roe um, is a precedent upon a precedent, which means that it is really well-established law. Um, it really uh, centered on um, uh, the right to privacy, right? Okay. We have many, many, uh, many, many um, Supreme Court decisions based on that right to privacy, like the ability for married couples to choose when to have contraception, um, the privacy and liberty, um, you know, gay marriage. Um, let's see what there were some other... I mean, there there are many, and and it's just terrifying. So it could set a precedent to affect many other laws. Yeah. And what is really t- let me can I just say one thing? I'm sorry. Just um, what is really terrifying are states like um, I, I think it's Louisiana has yeah Louisiana is having um, a law trying to get past that life begins at conception, right? So if life begins at conception, you can't have birth control. I mean that. Mm. That stops, right? So mm. we're just, we're all like, oh, man. Because the thing that, sorry, the, the thing that deeply concerns me is that obviously this doesn't, this doesn't mean that abortions won't happen in those mm. states. They will still happen. Oh, They'll just right. be, yeah, backyard, right. illegal, very no, dangerous. Women will die. Right. Yes, oh, yeah. basically. Oh, women will and, die. And, 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 and women will die. Sorry, the, the numbers also are, are deeply alarming in that, if those 26 states shut down abortion, that women of reproductive age, there's 36 million mm-hmm. of reproductive mm-hmm. age in right. those states that right. don't, won't allow abortions. So, Right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's unfathomable to me. I don't, I, I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know. Um, I, I think right now, honestly, um, we're all sort of still in a state of shock. I can feel my friends. I can feel, you know, kind of the momentum moving towards um, anger and, you know, uh, pissed off women are a a force to be reckoned with. Yes. Well, Rachel, let's go to uh, the fight because over the weekend, Mm -hmm. the Bands Off Our Bodies Day of Action took place. You were in Washington, D.C. These are your images, Mm -hmm. actually. That's your video that you shot there. Um, Can you Mm -hmm. share with us some of the people that you met on the day and what the mood was like? Yeah, well, you know, I met, I was really um, glad to see there were a lot of mothers and daughters out there mothers my age, middle age, with daughters in their teenage uh, teenage years, which was um, hopeful. Um, there were a lot of very old women out there with that sort of look of like, are you kidding me? We're doing this again. Mm. Um, the mood was, you know, it was very angry. There were a lot of really angry people. Um, and, and actually, the turnout was much better than I thought it was going to be because it was bad weather and it was sort of quickly organized. Um, I just, I feel like the momentum, I feel like um, people are still in a little bit of a state of shock, to be honest with you. Holy hell, what are yeah. we going to do? I will say this, the mood, so I, I was in the, I was at the Women's March in 92. I was there in, oh God, I think there's been several, but the big one was in 92. And then there was another one um, in 2016 for abortion rights, for abortion rights. And the mood there for the women is a little bit different. It used to be um, our choice, like like abortion is our choice, right? And now they're a little bit like, screw you. This is about bodily autonomy. Mm. Because if we, if we say, um, you know, it's our choice, that choices can be taken away. But if we say this is about what we get to choose, what happens to our bodies, like that is full personhood right yeah. that's full person and that is what the 14th amendment was about which is 
what all this was guaranteed for. Yes, we've actually yeah, so had a was, lot of women on our social media who are actually sharing that, you know, I have no words, I had an abortion. If this right was taken away from me, my life would be different, more difficult perhaps, and happier. I will never know, but I had the choice. That's from Stacey. There are, there are so many women saying mm -hmm. women will die to be held to ransom on religious beliefs that you they can will have be no ties yeah. to. I mean, it is really shocking, and I read this incredible, um, you know, sometimes it takes someone to just really use one sentence and an analogy to kind of frame it. Yeah in a way that's really obvious and I read this fantastic thing where it said you know um, by law no one can force you to donate a kidney no one can force you mm -hmm. to um, you know give blood no one can force you to donate sperm and even as after life you can't be forced to be farmed for your organs right you know mm -hmm. you to do right. donate your organs mm -hmm. but effectively this is right. making women have less power than a corpse because you than a dead watch. person than a dead person oh. yeah like it's that's true crazy. though right yeah yeah, yeah. That, but that's it is no it's it. it's totally true oh. and it, um i heard somebody say a 16 year old cannot adopt a child i mean we would think that was ludicrous you can't mm. adopt a child at 16 but they're going to force them to have a child oh yeah yeah mm. that's and, I mean, and, and, is, is, and also, Rachel, what's deeply concerning to me, and I know it will be to you and many um, people in DC because no. it's so Democrat, but this is such a legacy of President Trump, isn't it? That, I mean, this, oh. this yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't open this the can of exactly worms. Right. I mean, this is exactly Trump will be one happy the man. The only reason, right, right. And, and also the Dobbs, there's something that the, um, the Dobbs decision that was Dobbs brought by Mississippi. Republicans. Yeah, the case that's now being decided, right? They held on to that until they figured out that they were they had the the um, the votes in the Supreme Court. Mm. So it is just it's uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked how much fight women still have left in them after having gone through the last five years of Trump. Oh, no. Yeah, I, um, I, I understand what you're saying. But this this is a, a trigger topic that would get. Well, and you know, seventy percent of Americans support Roe v. Wade, so it's it's oh, that's the other right. thing that mm, right. the majority of Americans support it, and yet it's still right. looking highly likely that it'll be repealed. So, right? I mean, you know, the stats: twenty five percent of women have had abortion. Six out of ten are already have children. Fifty um, percent are at poverty level, and another twenty five percent are pretty close. I mean, you're going to have and of course we have no, we have very little um, uh, social, like a, a social welfare. safety net here for, uh, yeah. yeah, welfare, right. So it's just gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, diabolical. Well, Rachel, we are across the seas standing with you in solidarity uh, and, thank you. Um, thank you. you know, for what that's worth. I've, again, we have uh, women on our social media right now saying, I cannot believe we still have to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, why it's, do men still it, think, why right. do men still think they have oh. the knowledge and right to tell us what we can or Male can't do with our bodies? I mean, some women, yeah. in fairness, some women agree with this as well in America. Yes. It's not all men, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, they do. You're yeah. right. Yes. Mm -hmm. but it's mostly men leading the yes. It is mostly chart. the male pale and mm -hmm. stale brigade, yeah. and it's the man who set who wrote the decision, right? Yeah. So, well, I, I, I guess where our hearts are breaking because we understand the rage that you yeah. feel when power is taken from you, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, we just. Uh, we're just watching and, and sending our support from over the seas as much as we can, even though Thank that feels you. like a really empty yeah. thing to say. But No, it yeah. means a lot. It really means a lot because it, you know, it means a lot that, that most women realize how ridiculous this is yeah. and yeah. how it's just, it, I, I don't know, maybe in a, a couple of months I'll have more words to put around it, mm. but it's just so frustrating. Yeah, incredibly. All right, we're sending you love. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. From, thank you. Uh, thank Washington. you so much. For Keep up the good thank fight, you. Rachel. Uh, yeah. Oh, thanks, darling. Broad Radio, talking info we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here.
2am existential crisis? We've got you covered. Existential. Broad Radio. Here for more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, I have to say, Mim, we do cover all different topics here on Broad Radio. Well, it's broad. It's true. Broad topics. That's right, love. For broads. Um, and uh, that was a very, I mean, it's hard to kind of fathom how hard that conversation is and how hard that fight is for our sisters in the States. Yes. So let's take a breather and talk about something a little lighter. And we're about to introduce a uh, next guest who is, she, she's, We'll, we'll get to Tracy in just a moment, but she's a lover of cars. Cars. Classic cars. Yes. On the road. Um, and you yourself also. Yes. I was, uh, well, I still am a lover of cars. I'm just sadly have to be a bit more practical now. But yes, mm-hmm. my first car was a Valiant VG, 1971. Big white girl, three on the tree, <laughs> <laughs> the bench seat, the vinyl. And that was in Perth. So you can imagine 42 degree summer's day, melt, no air con, <laughs> melting into the the uh, bench seat, uh, no seat belts, but, you know, mm. living the dream. Yeah. So. My first car was a 1975 Toyota Corolla, <laughs> lime, lime green. Lime green, yes, nice. called it Kermie. Yes. Um, and similarly, melt into the seats, yeah. horrific in summer. Oh. But I recall the freedom I felt when I first got my licence, which was a week out from my 18th birthday, went on you my birthday. Early. Well, I failed on my birthday. That's my number one tip. Never do the license test on your birthday because it re- really ruins you. Yeah, yeah, it could, when could be found. a big downer. But mm. a week later, I did get it. And it was just that freedom of like, oh, my God, I am my own person. Yes. I can go anywhere. What a glorious that feeling that is. Yes. You know. Yes. And I can't understand. There are people out there who won't get their license. And I think what a, what yes. a shame. I know. And I, I know. Please explain. I, I don't understand that. I Like you, got mine on around my 18th birthday. My sister. Sister, she older sister, three years older. She didn't get hers till about twenty eight or twenty nine. My mum didn't ever drive. We never had a car in the family, and I didn't have a dad, so there was no car in our family at all. Wow, ever. So I was just get me a car. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I worked really hard on the wheat bins, earned good money the hard way, hard yakka, mm. and paid fifteen hundred cash for the Valiant. Drove out of there like you know Thelma and Louise. Woohoo! <laughs> Look out, world. And, you know, just looked at my sister going, what planet are you on? How have you not done this three years ago? And uh, and it was just a game changer. I remember mum and I could go grocery shopping and, you know, I like we never had ice cream in the house because by the time mum got the ice cream, got on the bus, yes. got back to the house, no ice cream, all melted. Wow. So it was. It, would, it meant we could have ice cream. I mean, and I could buy, you know, the, the cat food and all, you know, so heavy things. This is amazing because, so I grew up without a father also. Oh, yeah. and But my mum did have a car, which meant that we could do things. Yes. You yes. know, on weekends, we had no money, right? Yes, so we would same. literally go, okay, what do we do? We'll go for a drive. Because petrol was cheap back then, right? right? So we would get in the car yes. and we would just go. For a drive. Oh, that was the activity. Absolutely. Yeah, I get that because right. we didn't have that. <laughs> we just sat at home. <laughs> or we got the bus somewhere. But, like, I mean, a Perth girl, and I never once went to the beach as a girl, ever. Wow. 
Perth, the best beaches in Australia. Because no car. Because no car. By the time we got to the beach, we'd melted. It was just not in our psyche. I mean, we Mm. had to get two buses to the beach, two buses back. So by the time you got back... Yeah. You were crusty yeah. and you needed over to go it. back. Yeah, you just <laughs> You're exhausted. But this, and so my mum kind of taught us. She was the first feminist I knew, my mum, and she taught us the freedom of transport, of being able yes. to go. You know what? I'm my own person. I will get myself there. Yes. She also taught us how to change a tire, so nice. that you, you weren't stuck anywhere. Oh right, as well. No, Although, I'm screwed on that front. <laughs> Classic car. I know. Need to be able to fix it. You know what? I was thinking about my classic car moments, and then because after that Valiant, I got another Valiant, and a S series like the deluxe model. But naughty me, cheeky. Whenever I would drive anywhere, and I'd just get the rock star car, like an illegal, not a car park, just the side of the road. I'd just put up the bonnet oh. and go shopping. Naughty! I would just do the old bonnet because it was an old 1962 S series Valiant. No, no parking inspector's going to doubt that it's having a dodgy day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd come back, all my shopping or whatever, big, you know, have a long lunch with the girls or whatever. Obviously, not drink driving, but you know, I would go and do whatever I wanted. Come back, put the boot down, hop in, drive away. Nothing wrong with the car. <laughs> you are, I mean, there. that is innovation right there. Nice. Creativity. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. Oh, well, I'm loving this conversation about classic cars. So let's welcome to the show. She is a documentary filmmaker and the founder of Old Girls on the Road, a creative project um, about women and classic cars. Welcome, Tracy Walker. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Tracy. Oh, wow. When we are talking about old girls on the road, of course, we're not talking about the women. We're talking about the cars. What is so special about a classic car to you? Uh, the, just the style. <laughs> just the style, all the chrome and the, you know, the it's, it's just, um, yeah, no plastic. <laughs> yeah, they're certainly I think. The, the real deal, aren't they? Even the, the yeah, sound, the sound of, the, of the, the, the doors smell. closing. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love it. What sort of car, what, <laughs> exactly. what car do you have now, Tracy? I have a Valiant, a VC Valiant, so a 1967 VC Valiant. Oh, She's turquoise. And um, uh, prior to that, I've only had her about two years, but prior to that I had a 1967 Mark II Cortina. Um, and that was, you were talking about three on the tree and bench seats and all that. So that was a pretty cool little car, but... Um, I wanted to get an automatic because I'm getting a little bit of arthritis in my fingers. So, and it was three on the tree. Um, so I got this Valiant. So, and it's so, I just love it. Out on the road, it's just brrrr. Can I ask? <laughs> it's great. So Tracy, firstly, I would like to make the point that I love driving a manual car also. And these days people don't drive them by choice that often. No, we, I we, know. You Never. Know, my husband's like, I can't, because we've still got like a crappy old Mazda that we've had forever. Cl- clearly not yep. a classic car, but it's a manual. And my husband's like, I can't, I can't wait till we can get an automatic. And I'm like, I love that feeling of shifting gears. Of I do too. Driving. I do until I and get I on, love the hill. Three on the I don't tree. Like hill. Yeah, I love that. That I feeling th- is so... Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's like you're giving it a bit of extra grunt by yes. doing this. <laughs> Why can't they make modern cars with three on the tree? Yeah, well, because no one wants to drive that. They don't want to have to actively yeah, understand yeah. how to. I was like, I like manipulating the engine. So, But my question to you is, Tracy, what actually classifies <laughs> as a classic car? Like if I'd kept my 1975 Toyota Corolla, would that still be, would that be considered <laughs> a classic car? That's a good car? question. Because maybe that's not cool enough. I asked that question <laughs> of Laurie Lee, who's the um, the director of uh, producer and director of Greasefest, which is one of the biggest um, classic cu- cultures, uh, retro cultures. Um, and she said chrome bumpers, which I really oh. like. But for old girls on the road, I say anything over thirty five years old but when we were talking to Laurie Lee I think um I don't know whether I'd got rid of my Toyota Camry by that stage Uh so I said so you know a Toyota Camry is never going to cut it and she just went "Mm, no (laughs) (laughs) because Kermie had chrome bumpers for sure I think if I'd kept him he would have been he would have been uh what was yours a 75 Corolla Toyota Corolla did you say yeah yeah 
Coca-Colas are great. Yeah. Toyotas are amazing, really. They just keep on going. <laughs> I sold that car to pay for, for my wedding dress. Are you serious? Which I still have the wedding dress and, and I'm still, still married. Do you still have the husband? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> winner, winner. <laughs> oh, that's okay then. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So, okay, mm. you tell us about your project, Old Girls on the Road. So it started in 2016 because I was planning on having a 50th birthday for my Mark II Cortina the next year. And um, I had to go about finding people to invite to this party. So I I wanted, um, you know, uh, uh, initially it wasn't necessarily women, but somewhere along the way I decided, oh, no, uh, we'll have it as as women. And um, so I had the party and I just started... um, chatting to these women and by virtue of the fact that they're a bit of a minority because 85% of classic car owners are males, uh, so the rest, 15% are females. So they're a minority. And I just love kind of the rat baggery of them all. They all had these amazing (laughs) stories and um, I used to get them to fill in a questionnaire and um, if I got goosebumps when I was reading their answers to my questions, I'd write their name down, okay, I'm going to pursue this woman and, you know, I just, I'm a bit of a storyteller. I've been a writer in, in days gone by and um, I just I just wanted to tell some of their stories. So my, my little 10-minute ten, ten videos are as much about the women as they are about the cars. I talk to them and, um, you know, we, we focus on what it means to them to have this classic car and what they love about it. And you were talking before about the freedom of getting out on the road and being able to do what you, you know, go where you want, do what you want. And that's a resounding thing with all the women I speak to. And, um, yeah, so uh, so that's how it started. And, um we, I did the documentary because I'd pitched the idea of a documentary to a few places and sort of not got anywhere. And I'd worked in the film and TV industry, so I, I knew how kind of competitive it was to get funding and all that sort of thing. And I also knew how many hoops you had to jump through even when you did get funding. And I thought, no, I just want to do this on my own. Um, so I managed to get a crew and the crew was um, seven of us. Five of them females. The two males were assistants. <laughs> so um, we we went out um, every weekend for about five months and filmed, um, well, in the end it was 13 episodes because I spoke to, as a like a trailer, I did talk to Laurie Lee, uh, the Grease Fest uh, producer. And um, so nearly every weekend for five months we went out filming and um, and then began the editing. And, and while we were doing it, the premise of the series was we were going out to shoot, shoot, do photo shoots for a calendar. So we produced the calendar in conjunction with the, with the YouTube series. Yeah, the, the, the calendar is beautiful. The photos are amazing. It's I particularly stunning. love Fran, who is Ms. November, who there she is with her 1953 yes. Morris Grub. That car's yeah. name is Grub, who she's yeah. had for 62 yeah. years. She's had that car. She is an amazing woman and, as you said before, the old girls is about the cars, not the women, but we do have quite a range of ages of women. So I forget what month she is. It's around July or August is young Maddie. Oh, yes. uh, Who who was 13 at the time we took the photos. So she also had a Mark II Cortina. So we go from 13 to Fran, who I think is about 85 or 86 now. So we have all age groups. Predominantly it's around the 50-ish mark because I think that's when women get the money to, um, you know, Mm. invest in a classic but that's um, right yeah my i don't have my yeah. kids aren't a burden anymore i'm getting the car that i've always wanted yeah. to have yeah not that yeah yeah not the yeah exactly or uber or go back to car. the one you had when you were a teenager you know yeah. a lot of them a lot of it um reminiscence for a lot of the ladies as well yeah that's right i can imagine myself going mm. back to a valiant one day yeah do you have to have a very yeah. reliable mechanic though if you've got a classic car like that's, yeah that's yeah. obviously it's, a challenge it's, um it's pretty important to have a mechanic you can trust or a really reliable car like my Valiant, which um, I've hardly spent a cent on. Neither did I spend very much on my Cortina. I had a really old school mechanic and he 
he didn't add a percentage on just because it was a classic car, you know, and he was very creative when he couldn't find parts. Remember once my indicator wandered broken and he knew, he just knew that the ones from a Jeep in such and such a year would go straight onto my, straight onto the Cortina, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, maybe find an old school mechanic and, um, yeah, just get trust. But, uh, you know, I'm always looking uh keen for women to tell me if they've had a good experience with mechanics so that i can recommend them because people contact me all the time about that sort of thing well we have again on 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 our social media some of our lovely audiences sharing stacy had a powder blue (laughs) two-door toyota corolla with fatter tires Uh oh Mm. the fat tires yes the the white walls and jan had a beetle bright green and a porsche carrera motor fancy i had a saab actually a red saab called cherry oh, bomb cool. yeah <laughs> nice i loved one. that song. Cherry bomb. Was, yeah the but, names are great too i must know, say the well, names we, that people give their cars that's right we have such emotional connection to our cars sometimes don't we why is that yeah why do you think that is oh i think because they 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 give us that freedom they're just you know they're just like a partner they um you know you rely on them so much for a long time my my classic was my daily ride um, so she, she got me to work. She, you know, got me to shopping and all that sort of thing. And, um, uh, in the end, I kind of took a bit of pity on her driving through peak hour traffic, you know, going through the gears, stop, start, stop, start. Uh, and I, I, I bought another little daily ride car. I've got a little Fiat 500 that is pretty zippy. I love her too. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know your cars, Tracy. I do love it. Well, I don't really. I, look, I don't really. Um, Sounds like you know I know what you're more about possibly than, than kind of the average woman does, but I've got women that, that, you know, know motors and all that sort of thing. My first boyfriend was a mechanic, an obsessed mechanic. He, his idea of a good weekend was going into his workshop, working on cars, having me there by his side to wash parts. And, you know, <laughs> this was, this, I was only 15 at the time, mind you, 16 oh, years gosh. old. So, you know, um, that's kind of, I guess, where the, the love of cars <laughs> and, you know, yeah. all I that do- came about. I do love that you went. You know what? I'm not. I'm not sticking around as the the as, girlfriend. As I'm going to do. I'm going to do it myself <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Thank you so much. Do check out the Facebook page, Old Girls on the Road. It's still super active. If you want to engage with the classic car yeah. sort of culture and maybe get yourself one, um, it's a really beautiful resource mm. and a gorgeous community there. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tracy. That's okay, ladies. Thank you. Thanks, Broads, Tracy. I should say. <laughs> yes. Cheers. <Broad>. Bye. <laughs> See you. Oh, Min, I'm just loving it. For someone who's had their car for 62 years, that's longer than a lot of marriages. So that's, Yeah, not doing too badly at all. But my favourite part of that, what Tracy said, was looking for the rat baggery in, in, <laughs> no. in, in the other girl members. Yeah. Absolutely. I celebrate rat baggery that, for what? sure. Well, we do speak with women from around the world already this morning. We've spoken with uh, beautiful uh, Rachel in Washington. I wanted to chat specifically with Dr Nikki Stamp, who is one of only 11 female heart mm. surgeons in the country and she's also an author but uh, and she's just released a memoir called scrubbed but she's in perth you're a perth girl perth girl great city great. yes yep. but you know that the time difference is pretty tricky yep, for prohibitive the east to the west coast so that meant that uh, in the end she wasn't able to join us live and i was lucky enough to catch up with nikki last week one-on-one take a look so I really loved your previous books, but they were sort of factual explorations on the theme. So you had Can You Die of a Broken Heart and you had Pretty Unhealthy, both really fascinating mm-hmm. books with your extraordinary knowledge, um, you know, addressing some pretty important issues, right? But this time mm-hmm. you've written a memoir and shared some very mm-hmm. honest truths about your life as one of only 11 female heart surgeons in Australia. Which, I mean, I was shocked, firstly, to learn that there are only 11 female heart surgeons. Also shocked that it's not like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and you, and you're, not, you're not shagging in cupboards whenever you get the chance. Look, not to the best of my knowledge. I don't want to, um, <laughs> I don't want to start rumours, but as far as I'm aware, 
that's not the case. I've been looking for McSteamy for years now and <laughs> nowhere. We're all looking Just for kidding. McSteamy. <laughs> but but can, you, can you paint a picture for us as to what it's like working as a heart surgeon? I guess if I had to compare it then to medical TV shows, because that's probably what most people are familiar with, uh, aside from maybe contact that they've had themselves with, with the healthcare system, which, you know, by and large, for most people is probably with their general practitioner, first and foremost. It's not as sexy or as glamorous as TV. It's not as exciting as TV. It's not as... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when on the, the medical TV shows the intern turns up on their first day and everything's amazing and they're already these, you know, highly trained, you know, skilled surgeons already and they, they do everything and they see everything and they know the answer to everything. It's nothing like that. Uh, in reality, it's a lot, uh, I think it's a lot smoother. There's a lot less drama in the <laughs> real world. Um, there's a lot less um, kind of heroics um it's really a lot of quiet steady achievement um and there's certainly a lot more hard work over a longer period of time rather than just turning up one day and finding yourself being amazing um <laughs> that being said i don't think it's any less interesting i think that people's real stories and real experiences are just as interesting if not more interesting than the fiction that we, we've been we taught for years. So you're a heart surgeon. So my reaction to that is, firstly, you know, it's extraordinary that you had this dream as an eight-year-old to become a doctor <laughs> and you did it. Amazing. Then you chose to be a surgeon. That's next level. Mm -hmm. And then you chose to be a mm -hmm. heart surgeon. I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like you can't put yourself into a more stressful scenario than literally <laughs> having someone's heart in your hands. You literally sit there with your heart, not sit there, but, you know, in the book you talk about holding someone's heart. Mm. Now, mm. I'm assuming the world has a fascination with your profession and you often ask this question, what is that like? Look, it's, it's, it's very cool. But I don't think heart surgery is unique in, in that regard. I think, you know, one of the things that attracted me to medicine in the first place was the fact that the whole human body is just remarkable. Like, we are so, so cool. We really are. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there is something a little bit more, um, for me, fascinating about the heart. And there is a lot of mysticism and um, folklore and things that we, we're sort of brought up on that, you know, we hear about the heart and, and I think that makes it even more special. It feels like someone's very essence. But just from an intellectual point of view, the heart is so amazing. Like it's very fragile. You know, we have to take care of it. That's why we've got this massive big rib cage <laughs> built to protect it. Um, but, you know, it's also incredibly robust and resilient at the same time. And that's, that's really interesting to me. And every year, you know, we're still learning things about, the heart and the way it works and you know the way disease affects it and every year every month every week you know there's something new to learn and I really love that that there's always you know some development that we haven't uh we haven't known before that we're still learning about um even though our knowledge is already amazing and every time I read something new I'm always like god that's so so cool I mean I obviously you're extremely skilled and obviously you go through over a decade worth of training to be able to stand in that operating theatre and do what you do. But I also want to know, mm -hmm. um, aside from the extraordinary training and, and how skilled you are, um, what kind of qualities do you need to be the kind of person that can, in that situation, very calmly handle that high-pressure scenario? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that there are a lot of different qualities that people who want to be surgeons who or who are surgeons have um and you don't have to have all of them to be good at your job um i think uh one of the most important things is being insightful about yourself and what you can and can't do um knowing when you know you need help and knowing when you don't know something and then going off and learning that you know for me that's a really important quality i think you need definitely need to be uh, someone who is relatively calm under pressure because uh, sometimes when things go wrong, they can go wrong very quickly and very badly. Uh, so you need someone to be to be able to to keep a level head. And that's not just um, the surgeon. You know, we work in a team of about, you know, in, in one heart 
surgery case, there can be up to about 10 people or more sometimes working for that one patient when you have all the surgical staff, the anaesthetists, the um, nursing staff, uh, a perfusionist who runs the heart-lung bypass machine. There's so many people involved. Um, I think, though, one of the things that I find very important and is something that I've sort of learned to value in some of my, my bosses and mentors over the years is compassion uh, because you are going to work on what's a normal day, like it's just a, you know, a routine heart surgery for us. But for someone else, that's a huge, huge day, right? And you need to be able to be compassionate towards that person and put that person's best interest at the centre of what you do uh, in order to affect a good outcome. And I think that is probably one of the most important qualities that you could hope any medical professional has. It's so interesting that you say that because, and you make this point in the book, you know, yeah. as patients and families of patients, I, I would, my, my experience always has been of great kindness and compassion from the doctors that, and nurses and all the medical staff that we've, I've interacted mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. within your teams and the people that you work with, it, it is evident that actually the culture is not necessarily one of compassion and that you speak of the huge egos and the bullying and the sexism mm-hmm. and flat out mm-hmm. sexual harassment that you are subjected mm-hmm. to. So um, tell us a little bit about that kind of experience for you, because obviously it changes your whole experience of a job that you really loved. Yeah, so I think that's very true. We have a lot of compassion for our patients. And I think that that is uh, genuinely why people get into healthcare, whatever their profession uh, is, is is around you know helping other people and i don't know when it comes to each other if we just we have complete fatigue um you know and and we also have lack a lot of compassion for ourselves i mean if if i i've had these moments where i've thought someone is being really hard on me someone who's teaching me or training me or i'm working with they're being really hard on me and in some ways that's nothing compared to how hard i am on myself um and yeah it is a really curious uh, juxtaposition where you have this profession that exists for the service of other people and yet to one another we just can't seem to get it together not all the time but yeah I've had some I've had some really rough experiences throughout my career I have had uh, friends and colleagues who have had it a lot better and I've had friends and colleagues who have had it a lot worse Um, and I think that there are so many factors at play and part of writing this book was I guess an exploration of why those things happen And the only, well, one of the only things I can sort of come to the conclusion of is that you have a group of people who are, you know, by and large fairly, you know, empathetic, there to do good in the world, and you put them in these incredibly high-pressure situations uh, where they are responsible for other people's lives, they're working really long hours, they're working in a system that is often stretched, um, and we've certainly seen how just how bad that can get during COVID. Um, you put them in those really difficult situations. Um, you reward behaviours that probably shouldn't be rewarded. You know, we, we reward confidence and overconfidence and arrogance as something to aspire to rather than something that should, you know, possibly be just kept mm-hmm. under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and we also, you know, we have... Uh, we have leadership and management that possibly isn't trained, equipped or willing to to create an environment where healthcare workers can flourish. Um, and I think that over time that really erodes a lot of goodwill towards each other and, and it's really heartbreaking. Well, I mean, you spoke about and recently we've seen other doctors, female doctors, um, mm-hmm. speak openly about how it is an extremely, well, firstly, male-dominated industry and also yep. an industry in which women are treated really badly. Yeah, look, and I, I can't really say it any other way uh, that, yeah, women are treated differently in medicine. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't want to say that there are all these terrible people, you know, sitting around deliberately trying to make your life difficult. I think there is a really pervasive culture that exists in medicine um, around women. And this is not just an opinion. Um, This is not just people's stories. This really comes down to a a really big body of research that that demonstrates this, that women are 
are definitely subjected to different conditions uh, in the workplace. They're more likely to be um, sexually harassed. Um, their career path and their career trajectory is often stunted. Um, they are less likely to reach, uh, you know, leadership positions, whether that be in academic medicine. So, you know, becoming a professor or a dean of a, of a school, um, they're less likely to be... Um, to be paid the same as the men. Um, so there's all these different things. And like I say, a lot of these is, is around a pervasive culture um, where, you know, women are inevitably, um, I suppose, disadvantaged in the system, um, you know, and I think that that is such a terrible waste um, because mm. we will lose and we do lose so many talented female doctors um, in all different specialties. Um, surgery is particularly bad because um, it's particularly male dominated. But I, I think that the greater travesty is that for female patients, they're the ones who really lose out. And again, there is research to demonstrate that female patients may have better outcomes if they are treated by a female doctor. And that's not to say that there's, you know, male doctors are worse and female doctors are better. It's not about that. It's more likely that women are able to perhaps relate to one another a little bit better and they might pick up on different cues um, that uh, otherwise might be missed and, and and that affects their outcome. So it is, it is a really terrible loss and I think it's one that we should all be more vocal about. Yeah, and I think, um, interestingly, I've read a little bit around even particularly around heart disease and how women mm -hmm. present differently when we have a right. cardiac arrest or heart attack um, from men. Mm -hmm. And also mm -hmm. that women are, you know, we treat it differently when we express, you know, symptoms, not necessarily around heart, but ge generally speaking, I think that we're yeah. perhaps dismissed as hypochondriacs or overreacting or whatever it might be. And if there aren't other female right. doctors out there, um, is there a chance that it, that's one of the reasons why the outcome is poorer? Yeah, it's possible. It could be one factor. With a lot of these things, there's a lot of uh, issues that contribute to that. Um, women's heart disease is, you know, uh, something that I am uh, very interested in and passionate about. Uh, and when it comes to women's heart disease, as you said, Joe, women present differently. And there are a whole bunch of things that lead to the fact that women have worse outcomes after a heart attack than men. Uh, and some of that is going to be around the, I suppose, the, the way we interact with one another in the healthcare system. And women are, as I said, possibly more likely to pick, on, pick up on some of these different cues. Um, if you have women who are uh, running research trials, they are more likely to recruit female patients into those trials, which gives us more information about the women who re we really need to know more about how to treat their their medical problems uh, differently and better. So there's all these these kinds of little, I suppose, points in the system that we can intervene on uh, to try and improve the outcomes. But a lot of that is going to be contingent on having women in the healthcare system and in leadership positions. Mm. And it, it just it baffles me that we're we're in 2022 and we're still <laughs> discussing this. You know, I have a I have a, a friend who I I train, I train with, he's 23. And I said to him, he, I said to him one day, women do worse in, in healthcare systems. And he's 23. And he thought about it for about 20 seconds. He says, well, the answer's obvious. You put more women in leadership positions. I'm like, if my 23 year old weightlifting mate can work that out, what the hell is everybody else doing? Mm. <laughs> it's, really um, well, it's, obvious solution. <laughs> it's almost as if there's no will to actually change that, Nikki, from the people who are holding the positions Possibly. of power. Possibly. Um, you know, and look, I, I get that. I get that. I'm, I'm not unsympathetic. Change is hard, but yeah. come on. Like, yeah. we, have the, we have the data. We know it's a problem what's taking so long yeah and I know that you yourself are a leader you know as far as gender equality in your industry is concerned I know that you speak a lot around um you know working towards some more you know, gender diversity and also you speak to young girls and women um is there a tension mm -hmm. for you knowing that you're hoping to get more girls to follow your you know a pathway into medicine um knowing that it's not only the culture of um, gender inequality, but also the burnout and the conditions that you yourself experience. Is there a tension for you that you're asking girls then to step into the fray there? Mm. Yeah, hugely. Um, and I feel a little bit guilty about that. I have to say it didn't kind of 
register for me that this was a problem until I was giving a talk one day um, and I got asked a question by a female doctor in the audience, a junior doctor, who said, you know, what do we do if we're spoken to in this particular way by a consultant on a ward round? I was like, well, obviously you call it out. And she, a good on her for saying to me, are you an idiot? Like, you know, if I say something, I'm going to get in trouble. And I, it was just this light bulb moment where I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's actually, um, it's actually really difficult to do in practice. Um, and so, yeah, I do feel a little bit guilty. I guess the way I have kind of reconciled that is to make kind of a, a pledge or a promise for want of a better term to say that I, I don't think that this should discourage women from pursuing any career where it's male dominated and there are there are difficulties because it's not just medicine it's not just surgery um, but I do think that for people like me um, and particularly for the men who hold positions of power they have an enormous responsibility to make sure that by the time those girls and women get there they aren't subjected to the same mm. things so this is not about giving advice to those women coming through I, they, they're not the ones who need the advice the system needs to change mm, absolutely well, I really loved the book. I loved too that you start by dedicating the book to your patients and their loved ones um, because you are at the coalface of every person's most vulnerable moment on the daily, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder mm -hmm. what is that relationship like and what do you learn from these people who you obviously have great respect and affection for? Uh, it's... Uh... I'm not sure how to describe it. It's very special. It's very humbling. Uh, and I often look at these people who are facing, you know, really, uh, gosh, difficult circumstances. And I sort of look at them and think, I'm not sure I could be as brave as you if I was in the same same setting. Uh, so I'm always in awe of really how brave and resilient um, and how they face sometimes incredible difficulty just head on and they just get on with it. Uh, and I'm also always just blown away by how much trust people put in us. Because uh, when you're on my side of the operating table, there is sometimes this moment where you're like, wow, this person really believes in me and trusts me. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for that. But patients are at the heart of what we all do, uh, and they, as they should be. Uh, and I'm really forever grateful for the lessons that they've taught me. What sorts of lessons have they taught you? I think about being brave, about being resilient. Um, you know, that's that's actual bravery, <laughs> what <laughs> these guys have to go through. Um, you know, I, I love talking to people. Um, you know, I don't just try not to stroll in and just be like, you know, who are you? Are we going to do this? All right, see you later. Um, learn about their lives and learn about different points of view um, and that that's okay to be <laughs> to be different and have different, different lifestyles. Um, I've learned a lot about, um, you know, trying to talk to people in a fashion that is respectful and um, human and, you know, um, you know, it's very easy to kind of dictate to people, but it's, you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> just, I mean, so many different things. I just, you know, take away something from every interaction. Well, uh, we're grateful to you for the incredible skill that you bring to your job. Um, I've, ne <laughs> I've never had heart surgery, nor have I had anyone in my uh, close circle have heart surgery, but any kind of uh, you know, medical professional that comes into my world, I'm just astounded by the great care, <laughs> care and compassion we have here. So we're very lucky to have you. Nikki, thanks so much for the book too. It's really, I tell you what, I did spend a lot of my time going, oh my God, <laughs> when I read it, just because of what you do every day. It's fantastic. Yeah. Do get the book. It's called Scrubbed. I really loved it. And um... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. All the best. I know you've walked, you've stepped away largely from um, being in hospitals. So I look forward to see what you do next in your career. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for thanks for the kind words. Really appreciate it. Min, thank you so much for joining us on our very first show in this in a BRHQ, our yes, home. at BRHQ. It's such a pleasure to be on broad radio and in the new HQ. It's fabulous. You Thank helped you. me pop our cherry. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure's been mine. <laughs> uh, we will get you back on broad radio and we'll be back with broad radio next Tuesday. We'll see you then.